good morning again. We are concluding our little two-week mini-series here in the book of Philemon. Uh, I wish we could have spent more time in this book, uh, but I trust that uh, this past week, if you have read it, you have begun to see the beauty of it. For those of you that are just joining us, given that uh, we just started this last week, uh, the book of Philemon is really about a runaway slave um, who somehow came into contact with the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And at some point, Onesimus not only hears the gospel, but he responds to the gospel and becomes a Christian. And Onesimus's conversion is reminiscent of Paul's. Like Paul, he wasn't looking for Jesus when he found him. In fact, he had a divine appointment with the Apostle Paul in Rome where he then ran smack dab into Jesus. And just like Paul, um, who was on the road to Damascus, wasn't looking for Christ and yet found him, so we see is the case for Onesimus. And Paul grew fond of Onesimus during this time and he became very dear to him in his heart. He became useful to him in his ministry, but he felt that it was best to send him back to his master along with this letter and the letter to the Colossian church. Philemon, in many ways, is a case study in how to handle conflict and to foster reconciliation. I think it's one of the reasons why I like it so much. And, and in this book, we see that the gospel not only reconciles us to God, but to one another. And I think sometimes we, we think primarily about the Christian life as us being reconciled to God, but it's so much more than that. And so as we begin um, the conclusion of this letter, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to open up your word and to see the, the treasures that are contained therein. And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us and even convict us where necessary. But most of all, that you would conform us to the image of your son. Holy Spirit, be our teacher and our guide this morning, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to help me conclude this sentence. I think you can do it. It's not what you said that is the problem. It's, it's how you said it or the way that you said it. Um, now, I don't know if anybody has ever told you that or if you've ever said that to anyone in your life. I can tell you it has been said to me on, on more than a few occasions. And I have said it to others on more than a few occasions, including my own children. And it's true. It's not just what we say. And we refer to this oftentimes as our tone. Okay? Sometimes we'll add, I don't like the tone of your voice. And what do we really mean by that? It really means I don't like the attitude that I perceive behind the words that I hear. I don't like how you 
have said what you said. And there might be some emotive, uh, nonverbal communication even that we pick up on. But on the other hand, when a person's tone is warm or kind, it is very endearing. It keeps us from becoming defensive and it really is an invitation to listen further. When a person's tone is that way, it it has the effect of drawing us in. And in Paul's letter to Philemon, he really demonstrates for us um, what I consider a lost art, and that is tact. He's very tactful in this letter, and, and it's not just the content of Paul's letter that we need to study, but I think we need to study his tone. Paul is grateful and deeply humble and gracious as he writes, and his tone tends to amplify what it is that he is saying to Philemon in such a way, I believe, that it would be just about impossible for Philemon not to do what Paul requests of him. Now, we need to be careful here because some people can approach this, you know, and and do a a rhetorical analysis of the book of Philemon, and it becomes a mere human endeavor. I don't think Paul is manipulating Philemon, nor is he making a demand of him. He is making an appeal, and he says that he's making this appeal on the basis of love. Now, even though Paul acknowledges that Philemon's love was known to all the saints, that he has refreshed all of the saints, and that his love was was something that meant something uh, to the apostle Paul, I don't believe he's saying that he's making this appeal on the basis of Philemon's love. I think what he's saying is, is that he's making this appeal on the basis of God's love, which has been poured out in our hearts that there should be a fleshing out of the love of God that is in our hearts that then is directed towards others. It's on the basis of this love that Paul makes his appeal. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Philemon chapter one. As I mentioned last week, there's only one, so you shouldn't be getting lost there. Starting in verse nine, we went through kind of 9a last week. We're going to pick up in 9b. And this is what Paul says. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment, Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. In these few verses, I think Paul really tugs on the heartstrings. It is in an appeal to sympathy of sorts. Paul says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also 
for Christ Jesus. Paul uses the word presbutes, presbutes, meaning an old man or an elderly man. And it's understood that when this word is used, it refers to those who are between the ages of 50 and 60. And it's believed that Paul was near 60 years of age, if not older. Indeed, an old man for that time. But I think Paul was older than his years. Because Paul endured an awful lot for the sake of the gospel. If most of us had to endure the hardships that he did, it would probably show in our bodies as well. And now Paul is in chains in Rome. So clearly hearing Paul or reading these words or hearing the words being read in the church that Paul is referring to himself now as an old man and a prisoner for Christ and that he is making in an appeal for Onesimus. Certainly this would have engendered sympathy from Philemon. After all, it was Paul who led Philemon to Christ. But then he goes on to say this. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul also pleads for Onesimus because he also led him to the Lord. And notice how tenderly he refers to him. My child, Paul regards him as his son and himself as his father. Now, to truly appreciate the affection that he has for Onesimus, you have to remember who Paul once was. You have to remember where he came from, how he had been raised. He was at one time a self-righteous Pharisee. He was the ultimate insider. And everybody else was outside. And yet, he now regards Onesimus, a Gentile slave, the lowest on the social ladder, the social class, a dreg of society. He now regards him as his son. See, this is what the gospel does. It it doesn't just reconcile us to God. It reconciles us to one another, even those with whom we may be very different from. And I suggest you couldn't get much more different than a Pharisee and a Gentile slave. And yet Paul refers to him as my son. And he refers to himself as his father. And he, he says this. He adds even more weight to his argument when he says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. It's as if Paul is saying, Philemon, I know that Onesimus has wronged you. And I know that you would be justified in punishing him. But I want you to know something. He's my son. And I am his father in the faith. 
and in sending him back to you, I am sending my very heart. Now, I've been really meditating on this and thinking about this all week long, and, and it's just so powerful. And, and as I've been doing that, an old song came to mind that um, I'm, I just reveals to you a little bit about myself. Uh, Be careful, it's my heart. Does anybody remember that? No. Be careful, it's my heart. It's not my watch you're holding, it's my heart. You guys don't remember that song? Holiday Inn, Bing Crosby, somebody's clapping. Okay, great. But that's what came to my mind. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here, is I'm sending him to you, and I'm sending my very heart. Philemon, be careful. Be careful what you do with my heart. He's my son. And I love verse 11. In the ESV, it's in brackets. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And this is really neat because Paul is making a play on words here. He's using two words that rhyme to make a point. He uses the Greek word akristos, meaning useless, and he uses euchristos, meaning useful. And this line is actually a pun. Some of you may be thinking, how so, Paul? Well, does anybody know what the name Onesimus means? Jared does. What is it, Jared? Useful. So Onesimus' name means useful. And here, Paul uses this play on words, and he says to him, basically, yeah, useful, useful used to be useless, but now he is no longer useless, he is useful. He's now living up to his name. Paul tells Philemon that now, indeed, he is useful to you and to me. And you can't help but wonder how much of Paul's own experience has impacted his intercession for Onesimus. As a new Christian, if you remember, Paul, who was formerly named Saul, everybody was scared to death of him. Why? Because he was persecuting the church. He was putting people in jail. He stood by as, he, as Stephen was stoned to death. And along came a man named Barnabas who dared to come alongside Paul and he stuck up for him and he interceded for him and he took him under his wing. And you can't help but wonder if that doesn't play into Paul's desire to intercede on behalf of Onesimus. Verse 13. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. 
For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul makes it clear that he would have preferred to have kept Onesimus with him in Rome to minister to him, to help him. But he did not want to presume upon Philemon and he did not want to impose his will on Philemon. He wanted him to willingly do that which he asks of him. And if their relationship was truly a partnership, then Philemon would have to give his consent. Verse 15, in my opinion, brings to mind Mordecai's words to Esther, a book that we studied not too long ago. And you remember what he said? And who knows, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Paul doesn't claim to know why Onesimus had run away. But he sees God's hand in it. And he wants Philemon to see God's hand in it too. And so Paul, I think, wisely uses the word perhaps. Perhaps. He's suggesting to Philemon that Perhaps this is why he was parted from you. So that he might be saved and that you might receive him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother. Tell you, over the years as I've gotten older and older, the sovereignty of God is the most comforting Doctrine, I think there is in Christendom. To know that God is in control of all things and that no purpose of his can be thwarted. Not even when others sin against us, does that hinder God? Does that put him in a straitjacket as if to say, God says, well, I can't do anything now. I love what John Calvin said in his commentary on Philemon. He says, If we are angry on account of offenses committed by men, our minds ought to be soothed when we perceive that those things which were done through malice have been turned to a different end by the purposes of God. See, that gives great comfort to know that God can use even the sin of others in our life to accomplish his purposes. I think of Joseph's words to his brothers back in Genesis when he he said, what you did, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Or in the book of Romans in 8.28 where Paul says, but we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him 
and are called according to his purposes. God causes all things to work together for good with the caveat of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So now that Paul has sent Philemon, or excuse me, Onesimus back, he's almost envious of Philemon. You can kind of sense that when he says, he is a beloved brother to me, but how much more to you? How much more to you, Philemon? You have him back in the flesh as a transformed servant and as a beloved brother. Again, we see that theme. That the gospel doesn't merely transform our lives, but it reconciles us to one another. So Paul goes on in verse 17 to say, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, Write this with my own hand, I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So when Paul says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Paul is really appealing to Philemon's commitment to Christ and to the gospel. It is as if Paul is saying, Philemon, if I am really your partner, if you really value our fellowship and our mutual participation in the faith, then receive him as you would receive me. And you begin to think, how would Philemon have received Paul? Well, I'm sure there would have been a big smile on his face. He might have ran out to greet him. He might have hugged him. He might have sat him down for a meal. And Paul says, however you would have received me, receive him. Then in verses 18 and 19, Paul promises to satisfy whatever debt Onesimus owes him. And this is really a microcosm of what Christ has done for us. Jesus willingly paid our sin debt on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we might be reconciled to God. Paul is literally putting his money where his mouth is. He says, I, I will pay it. I will pay the debt and to stress his earnestness in this. Paul's just not making a glib statement. Oh, yeah, I'll take care of it. Put, it. put it on my account. He actually stresses his earnestness when he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Now, a lot of scholars believe that Paul was dictating this letter to Timothy. And Timothy was actually writing it. But at this point, it's as if Paul comes over to Timothy, pushes him out of the chair, sits down, assuming he had a chair, 
and he takes the, the pen or the quill and he writes these words himself. You see the power in that? Paul is wanting to get across to him, I am deadly earnest. I am, I am serious about what I am saying here. Whatever his debt, I will take care of it. And it's not as if Paul was rolling in the cash. I mean, he was in prison. He wasn't rich by any stretch of the imagination, but whatever it is that he had, he was willing to part with it for the sake of Onesimus, for the sake of bringing these two brothers back together into relational harmony. Just makes me wonder, what are we willing to do to see brothers and sisters who are estranged from one another, for whatever reason, to come back into fellowship with each other, into harmony with each other? What are we willing to sacrifice? Paul is quick to remind Philemon, however, that he owes his own self to him. It's a reference to the fact that Philemon came to Christ through Paul's ministry. And so Philemon owes Paul something far more than money. He owes him his eternal life. Philemon could never repay his debt to Paul, but he could refresh his heart. He could refresh his heart in Christ. Paul says he wants some benefit from Philemon. And in light of all the blessings that Philemon received from Paul, it is fitting that Paul would receive some benefit from Philemon. And this is another interesting word. The, word, the Greek word translated benefit is related to and sounds a little like another Greek word that we already know. Paul says he wants some onenemi. I want some onenemi from Philemon. Can you guess what the other word is? It's onesimus. Onesimus. It's related, it's a cognate of that word. And so some scholars see this as another play on words. Um, Paul doesn't specify what benefit it is that he's looking for, but it might be, it might be a subtle request to allow Onesimus to return to Rome, to Paul, to minister to him. That he wants some onenemi. Whatever Paul had in mind, after all that Paul has done for Philemon, he was justified in asking for it. And so Paul now concludes his appeals in verses 21 and 22. And he writes, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. In verse 21, Paul says, I am confident of your obedience. Paul is not referring to his obedience to Paul. 
Remember, he's already refrained from exercising his apostolic authority in commanding Philemon to do anything. Rather, he appeals to him on the basis of love. So what is he talking about here? Well, I think what he's referring to is is that he wants Philemon and believes that Philemon will be obedient to the Lord. That he will do the right thing. And he tells him that he knows that he will do even more than he has asked him to do. Which raises an interesting question. What more could Philemon do than forgive Onesimus and receive him back? So, as I mentioned earlier, one thing could possibly he could do is he could send Onesimus back to Paul. He could grant him his freedom. He could do both. We just don't know if Paul had something specifically in mind when he says that he was confident that he would do even more than he says. Paul may simply be acknowledging that Philemon um, is not one to just do the minimum requirements. You know, there are people like that. They just want to know, what do I need to do to get by? to be accepted. And Philemon's character is such that he doesn't operate like that. Now in verse 22, Paul tells Philemon to prepare a room for him. Now at first glance, you might be tempted as I have been to think that Paul was trying to intimidate Philemon with the prospect of a visit. Oh yeah, by the way, uh, I plan to come and visit you, so you better do what I say. I don't think that is where Paul's heart was in this at all. I believe he genuinely wanted to come and visit Philemon and the church there at Colossae. But I also believe that he understood the importance of accountability. You know, when when my wife and I travel and sometimes are away from home uh, for a couple of days or whatever, uh, we usually have a list of things we want the kids to do while we're gone. And as you can imagine, most of the time, it doesn't get done until the last minute. And that usually occurs when we pick up the phone and we say, we're on our way. (laughs) We're almost there. And then they scramble, right, to vacuum, to put the, the clothes away, to put the dishes away, to do the things that they should have been doing days earlier. And there's some accountability there. You would like for them to be able to do it without the phone call, but nonetheless, the phone call sometimes helps. And I think here that with this letter being read in the hearing of the entire church and with the prospect of seeing Paul face-to-face in the near future, Philemon couldn't drag his feet. He had to settle this in his heart. He had to spend time in prayer, seeking the Lord with the intent of God, I want, to, I want to please you. I want to do the right thing. And whatever angst, whatever difficulties that he might be having in the, this thought of, I, of forgiving 
Onesimus in receiving him back, he had to lay that at the foot of the cross. And he had to be willing, willing to do what Jesus had done for him. Paul then in verse 23 through 25 gives us his final greetings. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now these names should be familiar to you because these were some of the names that Paul mentioned in his final greeting in, at the end of the book of Colossians, which we have studied. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about them, I refer you back to that last message in that series. Paul concludes the letter with a benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We need the grace of God, not only for our own salvation, but for the sake of the relationships that we have with others. We need to be conduits of grace to other people. As recipients of God's grace, we must be willing to extend it to others. At the end of this book, though, we're left hanging. Don't you wish there was like, you know, in a, in a, just a, an epilogue or something at the end of this thing that tells you how it ended? I mean, here we are, 2,000 years removed, and we're left wondering, what happened? How, how does the end of this story go? Did Philemon forgive him? Did he receive him back? Did he give him his freedom? I mean, what, what happened here? We, we don't know. This is where tradition might be helpful to us, at least in stimulating our, our thinking. But according to tradition, not only did Philemon forgive Onesimus and receive him back as a brother in Christ, he went on to become a pillar in the church. One tradition has him preaching the gospel as far as Spain. Ignatius, an early church father, who was also a pastor, he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he praised the bishop who was there, bishop being another word for elder or pastor, the bishop that was there after Timothy. Timothy served there and then another followed him. And he wrote to this church, apparently this bishop or elder visited Ignatius when he was in Rome just prior to his martyrdom. Listen to what Ignatius says in this letter. I received, therefore, your whole multitude in the name of God through Onesimus. 
a man of inexpressible love, and your bishop in the flesh, whom I pray you by Jesus Christ to love and that you would all seek to be like him. And blessed be he who has granted unto you being worthy to obtain such an excellent bishop. Tradition also says that Onesimus was later himself imprisoned in Rome and then stoned and beheaded by the sword. Whether or not this bishop in Ephesus is the Onesimus of the letter to Philemon, we, we have some strong evidence to suggest that Philemon did in fact do what Paul requested because this tiny letter has been included in Holy Scripture. It's in the Bible, and it didn't get there by mistake. It strongly suggests that Philemon did receive Onesimus back and even grant him his freedom. In his commentary on Philemon, the British biblical scholar F.F. Bruce said this, that the epistle was preserved not only because it accomplished its purpose so far as Philemon was concerned, but also because Onesimus treasured it as his charter of liberty. Can, can you picture that? That Onesimus would hold on to this letter as his charter of liberty. This is my emancipation proclamation. This is what God has done. No wonder he would go on to become a pillar in the church. So think about it. After all that Paul has gently and so tactfully and graciously said to Philemon, of all the praise that he has lavished upon him and that in the hearing of the entire church, how could he do otherwise? How could any of us have done otherwise? Philemon is a story of love and forgiveness and reconciliation. And there's much to be gleaned from it. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us that those of us who have been reconciled to God have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We would do well to study this book. For in it, Paul models for us the lost art of tact. You see, it's not just what we say that matters. It's how we say it. It's not just words that matter. Our attitude, tone, or the way that we communicate also matters. And in this letter, Paul is incredibly humble and grateful and gracious in how he appeals to Philemon. He is winsome in his communication. Now hopefully, all of you have a Paul in your life. Someone who loves you 
praises you, prays for you, encourages you, and inspires you to do the right thing. We all need a Paul in our life, but who is your Onesimus? Well, it really depends on which perspective you have, where you are coming from. From the perspective of Paul, we might say or ask, who are are you sharing the gospel with? Who have you led to Christ? Who are you discipling? From Philemon's perspective, the question might be, whom do you need to forgive? Who do you need to receive back? Who do you need to set free? Who is your Onesimus? Who is your Philemon? Again, it depends on your perspective. From Paul's perspective, who are you thanking and praising God for? Is there somebody whom you are regularly praying for? Is there anyone that you are encouraging to do the right thing? From Onesimus' perspective, we would ask, is there someone that you have hurt or wronged? Have you cheated them in any way? Maybe an employer. Is there someone you need to go to to ask forgiveness and make amends? See, this book is only 25 verses long, but boy, there's an awful lot of application in it for us. Remember, the gospel not only reconciles us to God, but to one another. May our lives be characterized by love, by gentleness, by humility, gratitude, and grace as we seek to fulfill the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you first and foremost for what you have done for us at the cross and reconciling us to yourself. But Lord, we know that what you did for us at the cross didn't end there. Lord, you are calling us to lay down our lives for one another. You have given to us this ministry of reconciliation. And Lord, I thank you for your servant, Paul, who stood in the gap for Onesimus, even as Barnabas stood in the gap for him. Lord, would you help us to stand in the gap for others, to intercede for them, that they might be reconciled to others. And Father, where we are holding on to bitterness, resentment, where we're holding on to grudges and we are refraining from forgiving those that have hurt us. Lord, would you grant us grace that we might forgive even as we have been forgiven. Lord, would you help us, your church, embody 
your love so that the world would look upon us and desire to have what we have. Lord, I appeal to you on the basis of your great love for us that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.